0: So I mentioned the three elements of wisdom, the first is information, which I've just spoken about, and the next two elements of wisdom are using this information intelligently in our practice, and then practicing in order to gain insight. So this first information of, this first element of information, now that we've heard that there are these wizards of the mind, they often appear in the form of our personality traits. They're very habitual. We're so used to them, we take them for granted. That means they're very difficult to recognize. We know, we all know the word anxiety. We all know the word frustration. We all know the word disappointment. We all know the words of these torments. But it's very difficult to see them in your own mind so that when they arise and you're caught in being frustrated, being (coughs) anxious, being depressed, we're just caught in it, acting it out, fueling that narrative. So really, we don't yet recognize it. We experience it, but we're blind to it. And this is the difference between someone who practices awareness and someone who doesn't. If you're practicing awareness, you recognize what your experience is. Whereas if you're not practicing awareness, you just experience it, but you don't recognize it. I know that sounds kind of contradictory, but look at your own experience, you'll see. When we are just caught up in the way things are, you're just living it out, you don't recognize it. It takes recognizing before you even be able to work with them. So beginning to recognize them means that we have to look at the most familiar experiences in our day, the things that we do on automatic pilot, the ways that we react on automatic pilot, and take a second look and go, wait wait a minute, what, what's the nature of this mind state? What's fueling my behavior like this? And so it takes some knowledge to come out of the denial, the avoidance, the minimizing, the familiarity that these states of mind have in our mind. And when we do, when we can become aware, when we can remember to recognize them when they arise, then we subjectively own it, psychologically speaking. We subjectively own the fact that I'm angry, I'm upset, I'm depressed, I'm whatever. That's a psychological ownership. And yet, there's also the objective recognition of it uh, which is separating these. You know, we have both the objective and the subjective. And the objective is able to say, wow, this state of mind has arisen. Impatience has arisen. And simultaneously we feel, "We feel I am impatient. So there's an owning of it, we're not denying it. And there is an objective recognition of it. This is the first step. And I read in a, psychological manual somewhere, that to name a demon or a torment begins to take its power away. And that's true. As soon as we can recognize what state of mind is fueling this tormented suffering experience, as soon as we can name it, we're not caught in it. And there's been scientific tests done you know, some years ago that says, it that the part of the brain that is active when you're anxious, for example, is a different part of the brain that's active when you can name your state of mind. Because naming your state of mind uses a different part of the brain. And so it takes energy away from being anxious. And it's the same for any emotional state of mind. If we can name it, we're not caught in it as much or as deeply. And the second factor in working with these torments, the first being recognizing, the second factor is to relax your judgment. Oftentimes we're very defensive, we may be ashamed, we may be uh, unwilling to acknowledge, yeah, this is what I'm feeling, this is what my experience is. You know, when there's depression, or anxiety, or self-pity, or shame, we don't, we don't like we don't like to experience we don't like to own those we don't like to experience it so we often get defensive and pretend that it's not happening and and, and run around it or spiritually bypass it or something just not to you know so the second factor in working with them is to relax your judgment and your self-criticism because as Sayadaw Ta is said, the mind is not yours. But you're responsible for it. And now we know, just from observing our mind today, anything can come into your mind at any time. Anything. You know, somebody goes, somebody goes running by on the path outside, saying something, and while you minding your own business, hear it inadvertently or, or kind of naturally because the ears work, and get upset. You get impatient, you get judgmental, you get... Or maybe you get curious and kind of inflamed by something. Maybe you're excited about what they're saying. You know, and and you're just trying to mind your own business. You know, but your mind has other ideas. So when when we see some of these visitors to the mind, we can get pretty defensive about it. So relaxing, not struggling with it, and remembering that, you know, we can... We can work with these things. We can work with these states of mind. If we don't think we can, then we'll just think, I'm anxious. I can't do anything about it. You know, until the world is fixed in a different order, I'm going to be anxious. (laughs) Good luck. You know, we're not going to be able to change the world. The world is the way it is. We can change our mind. We can change our relationship to the world. And that's what working with these torments is all about. So the second element of wisdom, that was the first, working with the information. The second is intelligence, using this information skillfully in our practice. Now, often we say thinking is not necessary in practice. Or we find that a lot of our thoughts are tormenting thoughts. And so we get this idea that thinking is bad. But actually, you couldn't meditate if you didn't think. If you didn't think skillfully, how do do I do this? How do I meditate? Oh, I pay attention to the present moment, I notice it, and depending on how much you understand about practice, you coach yourself with thoughts. So the thoughts are useful, thoughts are necessary. Skillfully using thoughts to practice is essential. But there are a lot of thoughts that arise in the mind that are unskillful. right? So we don't want to confuse the two. We don't want to kind of clump them all together and say, thinking's bad. That's not so. We need to think intelligently about practice. So when these torments are overwhelming, as they sometimes are, we have to think, now how can I work with this? And there's a couple of things we can do. We can replace them. When we're overwhelmed with any of these tormented states of mind, we can replace them with turning our attention towards something else. Turning our attention away from this entangled suffering towards even present moment experience of seeing, hearing, feeling, touching. You're sustaining the continuity of mindfulness, but you're turning away from an overwhelming object. That's skill, that's wisdom that's able to say, wait a minute, this is overwhelming. I can't I can't be here with this. I can't be aware of this. And you recognize that and you say, I need to recharge my batteries. So you go for a walk, you have a cup of tea, you do you do whatever it is to, in a way, distract yourself from the overwhelming torment, but keep your mindfulness on something that's more neutral. So we sometimes talk about pendulating. Pendulate your attention from the overwhelming torment something that's neutral, that you can be with in a safe way. And then you might go back, swing back, and check it out again. still overwhelming. Go back to something neutral. So you switch back and forth as a way to touch into the overwhelmingness and step out of it and recharge your batteries. This is skillful. This is wisdom that knows to do this. We can also use Reflection if we're caught in some overwhelming state of aversion towards someone or towards ourselves we can practice loving kindness if you have if you know how to do loving kindness metta practice sometimes when we have a lot of aversion metta is the antidote so you can practice and this is skillful metta is a mindfulness practice it's remembering to recognize loving kindness okay so Practicing loving kindness is a way of dealing with overwhelming aversion. Practicing forgiveness is a way of dealing with overwhelming blame. Practicing confidence or recalling what has inspired you to practice your teachers, stories of the Buddha, stories of people at the time of the Buddha, even your own prior experiences can re-inspire your confidence to temporarily overcome overwhelming doubt or to turn away from overwhelming doubt. So we learn, we we use our intelligence to address these overwhelming, you know, comments in the mind. And then it never hurts to just avoid them. <laughs> you know, you know, just don't go there, as, as that poet, I can't remember her name, says, you know, your mind is a dangerous neighborhood. Don't go there alone. Meaning, when you go wandering around in your mind, you want to take your mindfulness with you as a guardian that's going to keep an eye on what neighborhood of your mind you're in so you don't get ambushed. So your mind is a neighborhood. Don't go there alone. We'll take your awareness with you. And avoid those neighborhoods that are going to provoke you. And we all know where they are. You know the areas of your mind where you get vulnerable, where you get reactive, where you get angry, where you get your buttons pushed. If you don't know, ask the person you live with, they know. Okay. So after um, refraining from acting them out, being overwhelmed by them and acting them out, then we want to reframe our understanding. So all of those antidotes that I just spoke about is a way of not acting out the torment. Because if we act it out, we think, Well, if I just express my anger, if I just tell them how I feel, you know, angrily, then there, that'll be good. No, it (laughs) won't. It will only strengthen that tendency to use that dysfunctional strategy. And so, acting out, which can be actually speaking or acting, or it can be just ruminating in your mind, acting out, just building up the defenses and the justification, for being so upset. You know, you just kind of torture yourself with how right you are. I should be angry. The other person doesn't feel that. Who's suffering? Yeah. So exercising restraint in that way, and then reframing our understanding. Now what that means is, we often think you know, When we're feeling anxious, when we're feeling sleepy, when you're feeling restless, we think, I've got to get rid of this sleepiness before I can do my practice. I've got to get rid of my uh, depression before I can practice. I've got to get rid of my aversion, my upsetness, before I can practice. That's not true. That Those states of mind are the very place to establish, to try to establish, mindful awareness. Because they are the place that you can't that you can't be mindful yet. <clears throat> and so to recognize that and say, I don't know how to be aware of <clears throat> these states of mind, or the way it's manifesting now. So to reframe your understanding that this experience is an opportunity to expand your mindfulness, your awareness, rather than an obstacle to your awareness. Saito Tejaniya says, try to recognize that these torments are simply torments. They're not your torment. Every time you identify yourself with them, or you reject them, you're only increasing their strength. Thoughts are just thoughts. Feelings are just feelings. Yogis often make the mistake of expecting or hoping for a good experience, rather than being willing to try to work with these torments. Oh, check your attitude of mind. Are you thinking, I gotta get rid of this unpleasant state of mind. I gotta get rid of my sleeping. I gotta get rid of my restlessness. I gotta get rid of this so I can practice well. Wrong understanding. Well just completely wrong understanding. Instead we need to reframe our misunderstanding to, oh this is the very place. It's unpleasant. I don't like it. I wish it wasn't happening and but this is the very place to try to establish Mindful awareness. So that's using our intelligence in service of releasing these torments. And the third element of wisdom is insightful awareness in intuitive understanding. So, now we've recognized this tormented state of mind. We've exercised, um, we relax. we haven't kind of Denied it. We're accepting the fact that this is the way it is. We've uh, not. We're not acting it out. We're not. We're restraining ourselves from acting out, and we've reframed our understanding that this is the very place to be mindful. Now, how do you be mindful of it? As long as you're thinking about it, you're not being mindful of it. So, just as that experiment that I showed you yesterday. You know, holding your arm out in front of you, the story is, I'm holding my arm out in front of me. But the experience is very different. The experience is a very live and dynamic and ever-changing experience in the body and the mind, even though the name of it is holding my arm out in front of me. So once we recognize these states of mind, we say, oh, this is fear. This is anxiety. This is depression. This is self-pity. That's the story. And we know the story. The story is, oh, poor me, or I can't do this, and whatever. There is a narrative that goes along with it. But there is an experience of this state of mind. How do we get in touch with it? The mind feels, and the mind thinks. So the mind is feeling this, and it's thinking about it. So the narrative is the thought process, of the mind telling yourself a story about this mental state. And when you feel into it, it's like, it's not physical. Well, there are physical, there's physical correlates. This state of mind will condition physical sensations in the body. You know, when you feel angry, you feel one thing. When you feel uh, depressed, you feel something else in the body. When you feel uh, fearful, you feel something else in the body. But those physical sensations are only conditioned by this mental state. They're not the mental state itself. So you've got the narrative over here on the right and you've got the physical sensations conditioned by it over here on the left and what's left in the middle is the feeling of this mental state. It's a mental feeling. What does it feel like? What does fear feel like? What does anxiety feel like? What does depression feel like? Well, it takes some sensitivity, some real sensitivity to, not to think about it, not to try to figure it out, not to explain it, not to, to confirm anything you read in a book, but to settle your mindfulness on this feeling in the heart. To come to know, oh, what is this? Because as soon as you do that, you know, you feel into it, you get its nature. You feel what it feels like. It's unique. All these mental states feel differently and they precipitate different stories, they precipitate different, or they condition different physical sensations. And so there's a lot of variety there. But don't be confused. What we're after, what we want to know, is this feeling in the heart. Okay? So we receive it. We just allow ourselves to receive it. If we knew what it was, we'd go get it. We don't know what it is, so we have to receive it. So we open ourselves to receive it. Using the appearance of, the def- of these torments as an opportunity to... Use these appear- use the appearance of these torments as an opportunity to investigate their nature, Sadracharya says, they are a natural phenomenon. They're not yours. Everyone experiences them. And goes on to say, if there is anger in the mind, don't think more about what is making you angry. Instead, notice there is anger and get interested in it. Thinking or saying or recognizing, oh, There is anger. This is anger. Oh, this is the nature of anger. What's this like? Arousing awareness like this continually is a way where you work at being continuously aware rather than being continuously angry. Oh. So the anger's there. You haven't you're not just trying to get rid of it. You're saying, this is it. This is its nature. This is what it feels like. These are the stories it tells. This is the sensation it feels. Okay, this is it. So you're watching. You're, you're observing it. You're coming to know it. It's nature. As E.E. 10 e. says, don't try to avoid experience. Instead, try to avoid getting entangled in the torment with it. Experience is going to happen. Our whole life is nothing but experience. We don't want to just live in a box of safe experiences, little narrow, tiny box of safe experiences. We want to live the fullness of human life. And so there is going to be unpleasant and there's going to be pleasant that's going to provoke torments. Okay. So don't try to avoid them. Instead, watch your relationship to them. And this is the way the the tum, where the torments appear the relationship we have with pleasant and unpleasant experience. Now, when we're able to feel into these states of mind, and we recognize their nature and it's an ongoing thing, we realize three things. First of all, these states of mind are really torturous. They are really tormenting. They really cause a lot of suffering. They all have the characteristic of pain and suffering. Every one of them. Well, you know that already, but you see <laughs> it. You see it more clearly. And secondly, you also realize, now you realize it's not that you just think it, but you realize, you get it. It's like, these things are out of my control. I don't make them happen. They come because of causes and conditions of their own nature. When the causes and conditions are there, they arise. It's not my fault. It's not because I'm bad. It's not because there's something wrong with me. It's just they have their own nature. So when those natures, when those conditions come together, they're going to arise. One of those conditions, in every case, is unwise attention. We're not paying careful attention. Okay. That means when we start paying careful attention, we take away one of the conditions for its surprising. That state of mind will disappear, will come to an end. If it doesn't have its conditions for existing, it ends. So when we start paying wise attention to what is rooted in and feeds off of unwise attention, that state of mind starves. It stops. It disappears. It goes away. Not because you did anything to get rid of it. You just started paying attention to it. It can only thrive in the dark. Lack of awareness. And as soon as you bring awareness to it, you realize it's impermanent. It's unsatisfactory. It's tormenting. It's, it's conditioned. These are the three insights, the three vipassana insights that free us from the wrong understanding about these torments. We think they're a skillful way of dealing with life's challenges, but we misunderstand them. And when we see that when we recognize or realize these three insights into their impermanence, into their unsatisfactoriness, into their uh, conditioned nature, then we're no longer deceived by them. No longer deceived by them. In time if we don't keep falling for them, and we keep seeing their nature, their unique nature as well as their universal nature, these three characteristics, in time, they give up. They don't have any. Fertile, they don't have any fertile ground in the mind upon which to arise. This is called liberation. Being liberated from the torment, one at a time. long as you are aware of these torments, you're doing well. We must be doing good today. (laughs) In order to understand these torments, you have to watch them again and again. What can you gain from just having or expecting good experiences? If you understand the nature of these torments, they will dissolve. And once you're able to handle these defilements or these torments, good experiences will naturally follow good experiences will naturally follow. Always remember that it is not you who removes these torments. Wisdom does the job. And when you're continuously aware, wisdom unfolds naturally. So let's sit for a moment and let these words sink into our... Hearts.